Good evening. Good to see you tonight. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Malachi. We'll be there here in just a few minutes. Uh, the book of Malachi. Uh, we have reached the, the end of our series on the uh, Minor Prophets, also the last book of the Old Testament. So that's where our lesson will be here in just a couple minutes. Do you want to share a little bit of uh, news with you? Uh, we had a small group of about three families that went to Laza Leaders uh, this weekend. And if you haven't seen already, uh, they won first place in Banner. So the uh, first place winning Banner is out in the foyer. So if you want to take a look at that uh, when you leave today, that would certainly be something that uh, they would appreciate. So take a look at that. Uh, also, I understand, don't have a lot of details. Um, but I understand that we have uh, some new grandparents and some new uncles uh, here tonight. Uh, Andy and Ginger Kirby, uh, I believe their grandson, daughter, grandson uh, was born today. Uh, and one of the uncles uh, told me that. So Andy and Ginger's uh, oldest son and his wife had uh, their son today. Again, I don't know all the details, but I'm sure they'll be happy to talk to you about it uh, right afterwards. So make sure that you talk to them about that. Uh, and then I also heard uh, today, originally from uh, June Ferris, uh, that it was believed at one point that Rachel Howard uh, had a blood clot today. Thankfully, she does not have a blood clot, uh, but she does have, I'm going to read the text that I got from Jacob today to try and uh, explain it, an orthostatic hypertension. That's the best I can do for a medical term, an orthostatic hypertension, which he says is basically the opposite of high blood pressure. Uh, when she stands up, her blood pressure drops. Uh, there's not enough blood flowing to her head. This causes dizziness and nausea. Apparently, this is something that happens to her fairly frequently, uh, but was pretty bad this morning. So we need to keep uh, Rachel Howard in our prayer. So uh, let's go to God on behalf of her and the Kirbys at this time. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the good day that we've had in worship to you. We pray that the things that we've said and done, the way we've lived our lives today, have been things that will bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, we pray that you'll be with Rachel and the things that she's dealing with. Lord, she's uh, at home now and has uh, had some, uh, some fluids uh, placed in her, dear Lord, to help her with dehydration and also has some medicine that will help her with her uh, condition that she's dealing with. Pray that that will go well and that, uh, that she will be able to be up and about and, and moving around as she needs to as a, as a mom and as all the other things that she is in this life. And pray that you will just bless her and, and uh, bless Jacob and the family as they uh, help her to adjust to this uh, medication and the things that she's going with there. Lord, we rejoice with the Kirbys about the birth of the, the baby, dear God, and pray that you will uh, bless that family uh, immensely, dear Lord. We thank you so much for everything they mean to us here at JA, and we pray that you will bless them uh, in this new venture, this new exciting part of their lives, dear Lord, and just uh, help uh, everyone involved there to be blessed and to follow you and grow closer to you day by day. Lord, thank you for Jesus, who gives us hope in all things, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. All right, the book of Malachi is where we're at. Of course, like I said, it is the last book of the Old Testament uh, as far as the, the writing of the Old Testament. It's the last of the 60, uh, 39 books of the Old Testament, but it's also the last chronologically. It's the last written book of the Old Testament. After the book of Malachi, uh, God uh, is seemingly silent for about 400 years or so uh, before we hear anything else from him uh, from Scripture. Seemingly there are, at least as far as certainly biblical history and even secular Jewish history, there doesn't seem to be any prophets prophesying going on, no, no conversation between God and man for about 400 years after the book of Malachi. We may have a lesson on that at some point soon that usually the, the kind of... Uh, term that's thrown around with that is the intertestamental uh, period because it's between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We may talk about that again another time, but that's where we will end 
After this message, that's kind of where things are, are left off. But Malachi is uh, written about a hundred years after the return from the exile. So if we think about our Old Testament history, of course, you have the kingdom of Israel. Uh, then years later, they split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And they're that way for a while, uh, having confrontation between each other for a while. Then the Assyrians and later the, the Babylonians come. And they take over these uh, two, two nations and take them away into captivity, into Babylon, into Assyria, take their best and brightest and strongest. Uh, and then years later, they come back. Uh, and then this in Malachi is a 100 years after they've come back. Now, when they come back, they come back because God has blessed them with the opportunity to come back. God has worked in the lives of these foreign pagan kings and given them the opportunity to come back to Jerusalem. You remember they rebuild the temple, they rebuild the walls, they rebuild the city, uh, and it's not, it's not to the full glory that it was in previous times, but they are a people again and a nation again in, in some ways. Uh, but there were high hopes when this return from exile began. There were high hopes that God's people would come and they would reclaim their previous glory and they would reclaim, the, especially the spiritually minded people, they were, there were high hopes that they would reclaim their strong relationship with God. And a hundred years later, those high hopes have not been met. Those high hopes, those, the, their relationship with God is still not strong. They do have a temple, but it's really neglected, and they don't use it for what it should be used for. Uh, they don't appreciate their relationship with God. They do have walls. They do have some security, but they're, they're nothing like the kingdom of David. They're nothing like the kingdom of, of his son. Uh, they're, they're nothing like their, their former might and glory, either spiritually or physically. They have high hopes when this all happened, but it has not come to fruition. And you can imagine that these couple of generations, few generations later, the people are frustrated and they are wondering, okay, God, you, you brought us back. You allowed us to come back. We thought things were going to go well. We thought you were going to bless us immensely. Why haven't, hasn't that happened yet? And that's the kind of the attitude that we read about in Malachi chapter 3, which is where we'll be at tonight. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 14. Uh, Malachi, just thinking about uh, the way the book is set up itself, it is set up a... Uh, uh, a recording of what the prophet Malachi understands and gets from God uh, and the the way that it's described or the way that it's kind of flows is it's like a conversation, a conversation between God and the Israelites. And there's about six conversations in the book of Malachi and we're kind of starting in the middle of one in Malachi chapter three and verse 14. So God says that you have said, so he's saying the people are saying this. Here's, here's what God is, is hearing from the people. Here's what the attitude that the people have is, is telling God what they're thinking. He says, you have said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it if we have kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? In some ways, this is an attitude that probably many people of faith have at some point. What's in it for me? What have you done for me lately? Why, you know, I'm, I'm following you. You know, they, they said, what profit is there if we have kept his charge? We've, in their mind, we, they have done what God has asked them to do. And then it says, and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. We've suffered for you, God. Why have you not blessed us? We've kept your charge. We've done the things that you've asked us to do, and we've suffered for. Things have not been easy for us as we've been trying to do this. And certainly we would recognize that if that were true for us, if we were trying our best to serve God and to follow God and to do the things that he would have us to do. And if we were uh, keeping his charge, and if we suffered for that, we would be wondering, God, where are you? 
God, why, why aren't you here with us? Certainly in the New Testament, you think about all the, about all the persecution and the, the difficulty that first century Christians went through. This is an attitude that many first century Christians have sometimes. Uh, how long, O oh Lord, is, is how it's described in the book of Revelation. How long, O oh Lord, until you will repay those who are doing these evil things to us? How long, O oh Lord, until you repay those things? So this is the attitude. Uh, now this could be, in the book of Malachi, this could be a, a, a new mindset, but more than likely, for you know the last 50 or 75 years shortly after they returned and began to rebuild the wall and began to rebuild the temple and and god blessed them in some ways but they weren't blessed in other ways they probably began to have this idea how long oh lord why why are these things happening to me what's in it for me why ultimately why should i follow you what's the benefit of me following god and probably a mindset that we have had from time to time ourselves in our own personal spiritual life now I'm going to tell you that that sounds like it could be a a legitimate concern, but God is very quickly, as we go throughout the rest of this chapter and look at some other passages here, they are not in a good mindset. Uh, They're in the mindset that some people have that when they come to worship, maybe like you are tonight or uh, people came to worship this morning or at some point in your life, you probably come to worship and at at the end of worship, because the sermon wasn't that great, trust me, I've heard a lot of those, uh, the, the sermon wasn't that great and you thought, man, I didn't get a whole lot out of worship today. Have you ever had that mindset? Have you ever had that thought? Have you ever heard other people say, well, I don't go to that congregation because I don't get a whole lot of out of worship, or I don't go there because of this, or I don't do this, or I don't do that because I don't get a whole lot out of it. Now, there is something to be said of that. Or is our assembling together supposed to benefit us? It is. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, uh, we don't neglect our coming together because we're supposed to spur one another on to love and good deeds. When you leave this place, you should feel like and want to and have a desire to be a better Christian every time. Every time we gather together, whether it's in a worship service or a, a time of, of Bible study or a time of fellowship, you should leave that gathering spurred on to love and good deeds. So yes, there is a, a sense in which we should all benefit from our time together. But coming together to worship God is not about you or me. So the attitude of saying, I didn't get much out of worship today, well, it wasn't for you anyway, right? Our worship, you are not the audience. I am not the audience. God is the audience. And we are offering our worship, our sacrifice of our lips and of our lives to God in worship and in our everyday life. So that's kind of the attitude that the, uh, the Israelites, uh, the people of God in Malachi are having here is, is they're asking this question, why should I follow you? What benefit is it for me to follow you? And we see more of this in Malachi chapter 3. Let's back up a little bit to verse 7. Malachi 3 verse 7. Probably verses 7 and 8 and following. You've heard these passages before when you think about the book of Malachi. It says in verse 7, From the days of your, for, of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So in, in verse 7, God reminds the Israelites about we, what we most often probably think about the Israelites. When I think about the Israelites, I get frustrated with them until I realize I'm just like them, right? 
I get frustrated with them because they follow God for a little while and then they turn away from God and then God punishes them and they realize that they need to follow God and they follow God and turn away from him and he punishes them and it's over and over and over again throughout the entire Old Testament. That is the story of the Old Testament from Adam and Eve to the book of Malachi, following God for a while, turning away from God, being punished and then maybe coming back to God and sometimes not coming back to God. And I realize again that sometimes I'm that same way. And he reminds him of that. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and I have not kept them. But there is this beautiful phrase here. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And then he, he says again in this conversation back and forth of the Israelites, the, the people of God, they, they look to God and they say, well, how can we return? How, how can we come back? And, and maybe again, hopefully, that's a legitimate question. How can we come back? In Acts chapter 2, different words, same question, right? Men and brethren, what can we do? What can we do to fix this problem? We recognize, Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, uh, we recognize that we've been pierced to the heart by your message, Peter. What can we do? They have a a meaningful, uh, they meant what they said in in that passage. Uh, Here, maybe it is, maybe it's not. But notice what it says uh, in verse 8 through 10. How shall we return? Here's the answer. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. He says everybody is. Verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. So he says, will a man rob God? Okay, there, there, he's asking them. There, there's this conversation. If you've turned away from me continually, just like your fathers have, over and over and over again, and they ask the question, well, how can we come back? And he tells them, well, let me first of all tell you how you've messed this relationship up, specifically for uh, those Israelites that are alive during this time. And he says that you've robbed me in, in offerings and tithes. And of course, we recognize in the Old Testament, uh, there were laws about the, the offerings that they were supposed to give, sin offerings and peace offerings and uh, a multitude of other offerings that they were supposed to give for, for various reasons. And each of them, they were supposed to give what? Their best, right? They were supposed to give the, the spotless lambs, the ones with no imperfections. They were supposed to give of their first fruits, the very first fruit that was produced, whether it be grain or whether it be fruits from a, from a tree or, or whatever it may be. They were supposed to give the very first and the very best. And earlier in the book of Malachi, we won't take the time to read it, but he describes to them that they're not giving their first and they're not giving their best. They're giving their leftovers and the only things they save for God is their worst. They're giving the the lamb, not that spotless and perfect and strong and healthy, they're giving the ones that are diseased or that have broken limbs. They're giving not their best, but their worst. They're not giving their first fruits, but they might to give, they might give some of their leftovers. So there's a lesson for us. As we think about lessons from the book of Malachi, there's a lesson for us. What are you giving God? What am I giving God? Are we giving God our best? Are we giving God our firsts or are we just giving him our leftovers? Now that can be things about when we think about the collection, uh, you know, when you think about uh, the, the, the money that you give. Now we're not under the tithe system anymore. That's not the commandment that we have, but certainly the principle of giving your best and giving your first is still applicable. We're supposed to give with a cheerful heart, not under compulsion. So nobody can say how much you should give, but certainly it's more blessed to give than to receive, Jesus says. Uh, certainly we, we reap what we sow, 
so certainly the, the idea of, of giving uh, your best and giving your first and giving your uh, primarily making sure God is the top of your list, those things are all important. Uh, the, the simplest way to look at this, and for those of us who work with budgets or think about budgets or just have a home budget, we can understand this. Uh, those of us who, who aren't there yet may struggle with it a little bit. But in your budget, what are the must-haves and what are the things I'd like to have? Well, when you think about whatever you're going to give, whatever amount you have decided to give the Lord, cheerful, cheerfully and not under compulsion, but whatever you've decided, it should be the very first thing. If there's any money that's going to come out of your bank account, it should definitely be that. And then if you can't go to Starbucks, you know, 10 times this month, you can't go to Starbucks 10 times this month. Or if you can't go out to eat as much, then you can't go out to eat as much. Or if you can't buy the new car, then you can't buy the new car. But you have decided within your heart, you've decided within yourself, no one's forced you to, but they've, maybe you've thought about it and you've, and you've st- talked with other people about it. But whatever you've decided that you're going to give cheerfully, that should be number one on your priority list with your money. That's an example. But that's also true with our time and our talents and our abilities and our focus. Uh, you know, specifically you think about time. Uh, the things that are most important to us, we spend the most amount of time on. Now, I don't know about you, but that scares me sometimes because I spend a lot of time on things that aren't really that important to me. And we need to think about that. What are the things that are important to us and how does our time and the time we spend on those things reflect that? What can we change? Some things you can change, some things you can't change. But we need to think about that and consider that. So the point is, in Malachi, to his original audience... They're robbing God because they're not, even, they're not even thinking about giving their best. They, they might be thinking about giving, you know, their tenth best. But they're not even anywhere close to thinking about giving their best. Let's look earlier. Uh, let's look again, again at verses 10 through 12. And this is an interesting thing. I, you know, two, two, two of the phrases that God uses again in verse 7, he says, return to me and I'll return to you. That's comforting, Right? Uh, you, you come back to me and I'll come back to you. It reminds me of that prodigal father, the, the father of the prodigal son who ran to his son. As the son came back, the father ran to him. Uh, God wants us to be with him and God's gonna come back to us if we'll just turn back to him in the slightest way. And another passage, that's strong, uh, a phrase that's strong here is in verses 10 through 12. Again, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and now test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Verse 11, then I will, rebu- I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy your, the fruit of, of the ground. Nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Here, here it is. Here's the thing that sticks out to me about that. In verse 10, he says, bring the whole tithe. Give what you're supposed to be giving me, he says. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. In some ways, he says, just try me. Just try me. I, I, I imagine... Uh, God, our Father, looks down at us, his children, and he says, listen, if you'll just do what I ask you to do, it will benefit you. Just try me. Just give me a chance to prove, I imagine God saying, just give me a chance to prove what kind of God I am and how blessed you will be. Verses 13 and 14 
Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, and here's where we started this this evening. You have said it is in vain. It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it to keep his charge? And they that we have walked in mourning before the Lord. So he says very arrogantly. So if we think about it this way, and I have kids at home that are picky eaters. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or if you've been that before. Uh, But at dinner time, is Riley over there? I want her to hear this. At, at dinner time, uh, we make food, okay? That's what we do when we eat. Uh, and we make food that we think they'll like, and sometimes it's new stuff, and, and bef- new stuff on the plate. They've never even seen this before. You know what sometimes their response is? You know what oftentimes their response is? I don't like that. They haven't even tried it, but they know they don't like it. That's what I see G- God doing here. Just try me and I promise you you'll like the results and he says but you you're acting arrogantly your words are arrogant before me you say what good is it there's nothing good there's no benefit for for following God and God says if you'll just try it you might like it just like the food on a plate now Maybe they will or won't like broccoli or asparagus or whatever else it might be. But the point is for us today, if we will try, if we will give God a chance, yes, there are things that you have to give up to be a Christian. Yes, there are things that you lose and you have to to lay aside in order to be a follower of Jesus. But the benefits of being a Christian, we should all know here tonight, the benefits of being a Christian far surpass all of those things that we have to give up. Just like we talked about this morning, that Paul was willing to give up everything for the surpassing value, the value that went way beyond anything else that he had to give up, the value of knowing Christ as Lord. And then in verses 16 through 18, so there's this, this, uh, this conversation that's going back and forth between God and the Israelites, and, and many of them are just, just not interested. They're, they're not interested, not even willing to try. But then it says in verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I will prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Those last couple of verses tell us that God knows the difference between those who are serving him and those who are not serving him. God knows the difference between those who are seeking to live a righteous life and those who are living an unrighteous life. But I think in verse 16, it's particularly powerful. Then those who feared the Lord. So there's this, these two sides, seemingly. There's God on one side and all of the Israelites on the other side. And they're having this conversation back and forth. And at some point, all of the Israelites are saying, there's no value. I don't get anything out of following the Lord. There's no benefit in following the Lord. And then God says, will you just try it? And I promise you'll love the results. And then he says, scripture tells us, those who feared the Lord decided that they would give God a try. And notice what it says. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. They, they talked to each other and they said, okay, we need to give God a chance here. And what did God do? And the Lord gave attention and heard it. And this is, this is powerful. I don't know what it's talking about here, but it's, it's powerful. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and whom esteem his name. Now there's the book of life 
It's talked about in the book of Revelation and a a couple of other places. Maybe that's the book that he's talking about here. I don't know. But what I do know is that those people in in the days of Malachi, when he is giving them this word from the Lord, and God says, just give me a try, and some of them say, okay, I'm going to give you a try, God. That there's a book in heaven with their names on it so that he will remember them. And if that's the book of life, that's fine. But I want there to be a book with my name in it in heaven where God will remember me. Not because of how good I am, but just because I was willing to give him a try. Brothers and sisters, we've got a lot of work to do. There's a lot of lost people in the world. There's a lot of lost people in Cookville. Will we give God a try? Does God want lost people to be saved? Absolutely. God wants every single lost person to be saved. And he knows exactly how to do it. And he's told us exactly how to do it. Go and spread the gospel to everyone in creation. We know how to do that. We can get better at it. And we can figure out some ways to do it that will make it more appealing and, and easier for us to tell it. But we know what to do. The question is, are we going to do it? If we follow God, if we give God a try, it'll benefit our lives and it'll benefit the lives of people around us. Challenge tonight is, will you give God a try tonight? Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you for all that you have been in our lives and have been in creation. And we thank you you for all the promises that you've made for the future. Lord, we pray that you help us to remember the good things that you have done for us because, God, you have done good things for us as a congregation, as families, and individually. Uh, You have blessed us in in many, many ways, but sometimes it's so easy for us when things aren't quite going our way or things just aren't exactly how we want them to be. It's easy to focus on the here and the now and the bad rather than to remember the good things that you've done. Lord, for whatever reason and whatever circumstances we're in, I pray tonight that each of us individually and in our families and we as a congregation of your church that meets here on this corner in this city, I pray that we will try you, that we will give you a chance. And Lord, I, I trust, I trust that you'll bless us if we'll simply strive to serve you and seek you above all other things. Uh, Lord, help us to, to set aside uh, the things of the world Help us to set aside petty differences. Help us to set aside preferences. Help us to follow you and follow you above all things completely, God. Lord, you are greater than anything this world has to offer us. Help us to follow you each and every day, recognizing that. Lord, thank you for your son Jesus who died, giving us the hope of eternal life. And we pray that you'll help us to live like him and follow him in his footsteps each and every day. Uh, Lord, tonight, if there's someone here who's not a Christian, I pray that their heart will be pricked and that they will follow you and dedicate their lives to you and become a Christian and be baptized into your son tonight. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, that is the invitation for you. If you believe that Jesus Christ is that resurrected Son of God, uh, you'll name him as your Lord and live for him through repentance and following his way. Then submit to baptism where all your sins are washed away. We'd love to help you with that tonight. If you want to study about that, we'd love to talk to you about that tonight and in the days to come. Brothers and sisters, a simple charge, a charge that we all understand. God is worth it. Let's give him a try. Do that individually. Do that as a family. And let's do that as a congregation. If we can help you with anything tonight, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.